Revenge of the 80s Kids has been rated P for podcast. me have a go. I'll give the Jack Bauer interrogation technique a try. What? Shoot him in the knee and scream him? Not, not that one. The other one. Ask the question once in a quiet, measured tone and then basically scream it into their face. Who knows? It might pay off. <clears throat> Where did you hide? The nuclear weapon. Where did you hide the nuclear weapon? Okay, okay, I'll talk. Ah, Leo, Justin, there you are. I've been looking all over... Oh, no. Another round of happy torture, find the nuclear missiles playtime, perhaps? Gentlemen, you have problems. Computer! End this sick, morally bankrupt simulation, please. How many times do I have to tell you? We're not doing a holodeck episode this early in the run. We have plenty of compelling plots that don't require artificial reality. What are you talking about? This isn't an episode. It's just leisure time. There's nothing else to do up here. Not true. The video library has a full run of several 2000s TV classics such as CSI, Shark, The Mentalist, Dexter, NCIS, and Criminal Minds. See? Nothing else to do. How dare you? These shows were beautiful. Almost as beautiful as Doctor Who or Torchwood, which we also have in the archive. Uh, But we haven't got time to kick back now anyway. The ship has been infiltrated by vampires. Really? Infiltrated? By vampires? Yes. I'm serious. But we're light years from Earth. If we've been infiltrated by vampires, then they'd have to be aliens. Space vampires! Awesome! No, not awesome. Stupid. We haven't met a single alien since we left the solar system. I doubt there were just a bunch of interstellar leeches hanging around in the void, waiting for us to show up. There might have been. I don't see why all my ideas are stupid all the time. I think spending 24 hours, 7 days a week in the holodeck is stupid, but you don't see me complaining. Ian, why do you think that vampires have infiltrated the ship? Haven't you heard? The dialogue has got needlessly snipey and overbaked. We're generating drama out of nothing. It's complication for the sake of it. The hallmark of cheap vampire melodrama. And that's your evidence? 
Not just that, no. So, what have you got apart from notes on our dialogue? Well, uh, there's this. I think that might be more than vampires. We're infested. If you spent more time away from the hologram ghosts, you might have noticed our ship was haunted. A haunted spaceship. How do we deal with that? Procedurally. What? If television has taught me anything, it is that everything can be solved in about an hour by following some sort of formulaic procedure. We just need to talk over some of the classics of early 2000s television we'll cook up a method of getting rid of our supernatural infestation. Let's get to it. Um, and if you television has taught you anything, Ian, what might that be? Well, of course, I'll tell you what television has taught me, but only just before the credits cut in. So, like, it's a cliffhanger, so you have to come back next week to watch it, because it's a story arc, and it's terribly tedious that way. Oh, good. And, Justin, if television has taught you one thing, what is that thing that it has taught you? It's taught me that if I want to have a career uh, in the police force as some kind of investigator, I need some weird psychological hang-up or stroke mental problem. I see. Okay, very good. Why don't you think you don't have one already? (laughs) (laughs) Ho, 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 ho. Um, So, yes, here we are, the 80s kids, and we're here to discuss... Well, this is the second of three shows that we're doing on uh, 2000s television. Obviously, the first one was the one about space opera and things like that. And this one, we're going to take a broad swipe at things that sort of fall into several categories, but I think they're summed up mostly, by uh, one of the early 2000s shows that kind of set the mood, which was Angel. Uh, well, now, that actually began in 1999, but that meant that most of its run hung over into the 2000s. It was, of course, the uh, the spin-off from Buffy. And, uh, gentlemen, uh, did you watch much Angel, or is it just me? I-, I wanted to watch Angel, but it fell afoul of my recurring problem with this, was that it very quickly went on to Sky Satellites or Cable. And I lived in rented accommodation at the time, so I didn't feel the need to want to tear up the pavement outside to lay cable down, thank you very much. So, which basically meant it was on Channel 4 at some point. Because Buffy was BBC. BBC had the rights to that, but Angel went to Channel 4. And so then you're in the vagaries of when Channel 4 feel like they want to put it out. So I got most of the first series, and then it starts getting really sketchy after that. Justin? I obviously watched Buffy quite a lot, but I think by the time Angel came round, I don't know why I was kind of beginning to lose a bit of interest. I, I wasn't, to be honest, a big kind of Angel fan's character, so I watched a few, but I didn't really hold my attention. Funnily enough, I remember at the time that it started, when it first spun off from Buffy, people sort of like then they said that the first season wasn't very good and it is true that the first season which i I therefore didn't watch the first season although when i re-watched it recently although it is true i hadn't seen most of it there were a few episodes that i'd caught that i hadn't some of them i hadn't even realized they were in the first season the thing with it was that in buffy angel had performed a, a function as a character And when they broke him away to be in his own series, 
He no longer had that function and they had to find him a new purpose, a new direction, which they kind of went, well, let's be cunning and, and, and meta about this. And that will actually be part of the character's journey is that he himself feels that he has lost his function and then he's got to find some way to, to make his way in, in his existence and, and stuff. And that's fine meta and as it should be, but it didn't really make for a compelling character. And they had to shuffle it around. Uh, quite extensively at the beginning uh, it introduced several new concepts into the sort of Buffy verse as it were first of all the concept of, of drudgery demons in Buffy demons were always the bad guys and they were always powerful there were minor demons and there were major demons but demons were demons whereas in LA certain demons are just people with rubber things on their heads I mean, they're just like that. They could be working class demons just trying to run a laundry or whatever it is that they're doing and that they got victimized by the nasty demons and stuff like that. And that was something that never really came into Buffy, but was a, a major component of Angel. The idea that you know, certain things are just monsters by virtue of the fact that that's what they are. And then, yeah, I mean, it picked up several. How can I put it? Yeah, several new features that weren't part of Buffy were very much part of Angel. Angel became its own show uh, under the shepherd. I mean, Joss Whedon couldn't be everywhere so it was really David Greenwald's show um, and one thing I noticed when I did watch the first season which was only recently is that people had complained about how bad Angel was and it seems to me that at that point we clearly had never had it so good because I was like, wow, the dialogue on this is really sparky. It's kind of Whedon-esque. I mean, you know, the fingerprints of Joss Whedon are there but Angel had a different type of witty dialogue and it was operating at quite a high level a lot of Buffy alumni went on to do a lot of shows one of which we'll probably come to later this was the first one that, that really had that and yeah it's, it's a terrific show uh, it, it kind of gets a bit muddled later on only a bit I, I really enjoyed Angel. The only thing that I would say is that it does set us up for a number of things that are going to come up in the 2000s that maybe became a bit tropey. Let's centre, first of all, on the character of Angel. There were quite a lot of shows in which a central, I mean, this is a, a thing that has been going on for a while, but in which we had a central male character and the show was sort of gravitate around them. And Angel isn't really a very good example of that because Angel's character is kind of nothingy. It was his his band of sidekicks that really made the show. Whereas Angel himself is kind of there. He's there to have a few problems and do stuff. But he very rarely when he gets a, a, a funny line, it's like a oh wow, Angel delivered a funny line amazing but yeah this was something and the other thing the other show i think that kind of brought this out this idea of like this the surroundings of the person being more important than the actual possibly the person in the center uh, is the other tone setter for the 2000s which is 24 now i know everybody here's seen 24 right 24 when it first came on it annoyed me because it, it stole an idea i'd had in my head for ages of a series set in real time I have to admit, I did not stay with it to, to the later series. I have tried to follow it. So mainly the early days are kind of more my domain. But I think that the central conceit is very clever and interesting. It essentially boils down to just Jack Bauer 
having six or eight really horrible days in his career, which is actually believable uh, to a certain extent. Very interesting. I mean, there's, there's advert breaks, which we, which we didn't get in the UK because it was on BBC. BBC does not have advert breaks. Uh, so that essence of the real timeless was slightly lost. It was huge. It was compelling viewing. And I think it's the biggest thing Keith Sutherland has ever done. Yeah, I, I felt sorry for them in the UK because I think it was assumed in the American audiences that they went to the toilet during the advert breaks. Basically, they just had to hold it all in on in the UK. They were never they were never always on screen. I, I actually, actually I, I, I think I, yes, my I think I've seen I think I've seen three or four and then kind of began to kind of lose interest because the novelty had worn off. But I, I was generally kind of like. Um, yeah, this is good. And also, you know, I mean, keep us up on it. I mean, this is like we are now seeing kind of proper, proper movie stars coming into TV shows. Um, I know there's been a bit of that before, but that was quite, a, I think, a serious kind of statement for the show. So, yeah, he's very watchable. The format was great, kind of fresh. It was kind of fun. So, I mean, yeah, it definitely it was definitely something to watch when that came out. Definitely. I remember on the second series, they did like a sort of making of or a little featurette about the series. And Kiefer Sutherland in an interview said something that was very telling, which was that when you have this constant ticking clock, things like a red stop signal can become dramatically important like whether someone gets stuck at the lights or not becomes a thing uh, whereas in a normal show where the, the you know time is more flexible it's not and this was both the strength of the, of the show and also one of its eventual downfalls was the fact that almost anything can be made dramatic with the addition of a big sort of ticking clock that makes a terrible pow, pow, pow noise as the seconds come down. Um, and they just pushed this further and further. I mean, where, where did you uh, step off? I've watched all of it. That it. Well, apart from the one that they did recently where they tried to revive it, the original run I've seen all eight seasons. I think I got the first three series. There's enough that I'd become patchy. I'd watch a few weeks and then fall out of sequence. I did, one thing that really bugged the crap out of me was the end of series two. Because 24 is uh, the cliffhanger, the, the on-the-hour cliffhanger at the end of, end of every episode. And it frustrated me that it ended the series with a cliffhanger. There was no release at the end. That frustrated me enormously. That was like, you tease me! I don't mind the cliffhanger of that. I remember the, exactly the cliffhanger that we're talking yeah. about. And I don't mind the cliffhanger at the end of a series if they've done this thing where it's like the series itself, the the drama of the series has concluded but then they put a cliffhanger on to say this is what's going to happen next i really don't like cliffhangers where the story is continuing and then it gets to a cliffhanger and then it cuts off and then you have to come back next season and it's like well okay in retrospect i mean this is ironic because uh, of course farscape like to do exactly that and that's fine because farscape managed to get through to the end yeah but, but when it's happening live on television wasn't cliffhangering every week oh no no i know that but what i'm saying is that i when it's that particular in between season thing where if you've concluded the season that has been cool if you then leave a little something that says but you'll have to come back next season because of this also cool but where you're like no we've gone bought built up to this for the whole season and then we're gonna cut it off just there with like 10 minutes to go you're like well yeah but what happens if you get cancelled or something and 
yeah, it just, no, I, I really don't like that. So I didn't mind as I did say at the time, or I believe I remarked at the time when, how the hell are they going to deal with that? They can't just roll straight on. So somebody can't have two days like that on the trot. And indeed they didn't. And at that point, they kind of had a, must have had a meeting and gone, yeah, we don't agree. We don't like that. We don't like that with the cliffhanger. Not that kind of cliffhanger. They did other types of cliffhanger, but not that. Because it, it, you just can't make it work. Because what are you going to do? Yeah, the other thing that bugged me was that there was some outrageous coincidences and some things that just happened to string these things out. Like the first series, uh, Keita Sullivan's wife loses her memory for a few episodes. And that's that's frustrating. I appreciate it, it was just two hours in real time. Well, all the same, was like, oh, jeez, no. And there was another episode, this is a more advanced series, where... There's some guy's house need to check out, so, so they sort of contact the FBI, and the FBI sends out a female agent to go check out the house. Coincidentally, the villains are also checking out the house as well. They too have sent a female operative. Female operative kills the FBI agent, and coincidentally is able to then adopt her identity for several episodes. I was like, oh, contrived anybody? And of course, uh, well, again, but they get away with that kind of thing because of several episodes is several actual real hours. So yes, no, no, I, I appreciate you're... it's only a few hours. So it's just imposing an FBI office for a few hours. It's several weeks for the viewers at home. It's different if you're watching on box set, I suppose. Yes, <clears throat> I never watched Twenty Four Weekly. I just couldn't do yes, it. No, I, I would just it. wait until it was out on DVD. Then I would set aside a day and literally try and go through the I whole thing. I see that being very sensible, yes. I mean, this was before This was before I was kind of binge-watching shows. I wasn't really streaming. I wasn't buying box sets. So, yes, I would have watched it. I think it's probably why I probably just got a bit bored with it, because I think that is much harder to maintain that. And you kind of actually forget, then, that it's all happening the same day if you're seeing it the next week, that all of that is gone. You just kind of, oh, okay... And what happened last week? Um, okay. Uh, but yeah, I agree that probably watching them all in one go, which I know people did do, is probably the way to do it, probably. And it's, it's awesome. It's like watching the world's longest action movie. It's <laughs> literally watching the world's longest action yeah, movie. I see a lot of merit in that. And uh, I suppose we should talk about this as we're on 24. It, it became controversial for, shall we say, glorifying torture. And uh, how do you feel about this, Leo? I think that to mistake... 24 for reality is the first mistake 24 became one of the most tropey shows that there were precisely because of all the things it did when you do them the first time it's like this sets us apart from other tv but in the end it just becomes this is the 24 universe like the the thing we mentioned in the skit about asking a question once quietly and then basically screaming it. people did that all the time and and you know jack bauer became this series of ticks and clichés we haven't got the time you must let me speak to the president. You know, just all of these things. And he just kept doing it with this. You know, how can someone be that urgent all the time? And and the thing about him getting, you know, it's okay, so torture work. But apparently you couldn't kill Jack Bauer. You could electrocute him. You could set him on fire. You could shoot him. You could do all sorts of things. But he would never die. You could always just, you know, do the paddles thing. And he'd just come straight back to life. And then he'd get up and chase someone down or do a car chase or torture someone else. It was absolutely ridiculous from top to bottom and if you believe that torture worked because you saw it on 24 
Uh, well, I suppose this brings us to another keynote well, of the early 2000s. It's like the, there was actually a problem in American courts because of CSI, because because they weren't using like lasers and 3D <laughs> rendering and and you know just all of this crazy stuff to prove their case in court. People thought, well, they, obviously the person didn't do it if they weren't spending all the CSI money. If I don't get to see you know a sort of 3D rendered computer version of the bullet entering the person's skull, then ricocheting off and into their shoulder or whatever it is. And obviously it didn't happen that way. It's that kind of thing. Reality and television are not the same thing. Well, I, I think <laughs> I, it, was, it was sensitive at the time because this is sort of post 9-11. So there was genuine torture going on. And this government kind of going, eh, it's not really torture. And so then we have a TV show where torture is glorified. And indeed, it was the right action to take, given the circumstances that were set up in the TV show. So I think that upset some people. I'm not going to lay down any commentary myself on it i just felt we should acknowledge the controversy was there yes i mean definitely it was as as near as the second season the featurette will go it's another storyline ripped from the headlines ripped from the headlines means exploitation and so in fact this is one of the things that 24 had going for it in that case is that if people complained about it it was great for them because it was publicity 24 and the National Enquirer, not that far apart in terms of, of pitch and level. So it was fun if you took it as a cartoon, but if you took it as anything approaching reality, and, it, and it, by the time it got to the end, oh, dearie me, it just, it, it was one of these series, and I think, you know, every, or, or everyone who was doing it got bored, and that boredom leaked through into the screen, and then they kind of got a second wind, and they, for a bit it was okay, but then right at the end was just terrible. I mean, the last series is appalling, like really, really dull, and just a, a, a sort of tired walkthrough of things that have happened before, just being done again and oh yeah i mean but i mean like having said that there's a lot to like about almost all the seasons i think the dodgy ones are six and eight apart from that they're okay and of course season seven uh has the uh white house siege which later became a thing in cinema uh, in 2013 or was it last year I think it was, I think it was last year. I think it was last summer. Oh, last year, 2014, the year of the White House being under siege. Uh, so yeah, so, uh, you know, 24 got there first. Yes. Um, so yeah, but moving on to CSI, I remember you, Ian. Do you remember what you described CSI to me as? Was it amazingly funny and observant? If so, yes. No. Uh, What you said, yes, it was amazingly funny and observant. That's why I'm giving you a chance to revel in your, your glory once more. I say say a lot of amazing things, Leo. I can't be expected to keep track of all. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Good recovery. Uh, You described it to me as chocolate biscuit television. Uh, Do you remember why you described it thus? Because you should only have a few every once in a while. <laughs> well, well that, I suppose you've extended the metaphor there. The way you described it to me was that with CSI, you have one and you think, hmm, that was okay. And then you reach for another one. And that's why it's like chocolate biscuits. Uh, you just, each one is by itself, but you just, oh, I'll just watch this one and this one and this one. And yes, that's how, that's how CSI began. You could just put it on and watch it and then watch another one and then watch another one and then watch another one. A, a formula 
which they liked to repeat uh, with titles such as The Mentalist and Criminal Minds. And now it springs to mind was there were the Bones and indeed House is really just CSI with medicine. So, yes, the CSI formula uh, went for, forth into the world and spawned all of these shows, which are just like, and then this stuff happens for an hour and it always happened. I mean, that's the thing. CSI and House have a lot in common. Like in the fact it's like the same things happen every week and the characters do the same things. And it just becomes this thing of repetition, which some people found a bit more easy to take than others. I think CSI in particular, the thing is that kind of linger with me now is the fact that, you know, there was these crime scene investigators and up the rocks of crime scenes, not wearing any protective gear, they're all in their jeans, all with their styled hair, not under a net or anything. And also, they lead the investigation. The cop is just there to cuff someone at the end when they when they finally confess. It's a vestigial detective hanging around the crime scene investigators who lead everything, apparently. The rock star approach to any given career, uh, which seemed to appeal. It seemed to get more ridiculous, that kind of format. I mean, I, I, I have to say, I'm not really a big fan of this type of thing. I don't really believe it. They're all ridiculous. The thing is, 24, at least it was kind of counter-terrorism, you know, and that should, by its definition, be, even though it's completely fictitious, fairly kick-ass and gung-ho. But when it gets to the point of numbers, where it's like statisticians kicking ass for the law, <laughs> um, I think we've lost the plot. You know, it's just like, uh, what more have we got? Have we got maybe the janitor service, you know, keeping the FBI clean and keeping crime clean? You know, I mean, it just is going, it's just ludicrous. Why this hasn't been spoofed? Maybe it has. I don't know. I always hesitate to say this, but I think it's hard to spoof. Because of the length of which the ridiculousness, Numbers is a very good example of a show. I watched two seasons of that before I was finding I cannot I was I was trying to find the value in it I was thinking solving crimes with maths that sounds like it could be interesting and then it just consistently wasn't like why I was actually got to a point where I was watching that show to work out why they were still making it because I didn't understand why anyone would find this to be charming or wonderful and don't even get me started on the mentalist at one point Sue was working nights as a taxi board operator and she would work on a Saturday night. And so I would take her to work around about midnight and then I would get home and it would be funny because the house would be all empty. And it's like if she goes out and it's it's the daytime, it's like unsupervised. I'm going to play PlayStation games and watch DVDs and oh, wow, it's fantastic. But when it's like, well, basically, I've got to go to bed because it's bedtime. I would feel a bit, oh, I don't want to go to bed. The house seems lonely. All I would have to do is put on an on-demand edition of The Mentalist. And by the time I'd done about four of them, because at first I was like, let me try and occupy my mind with this for a while. And I found that after 20 minutes, I'd fallen asleep. And then I was falling asleep in the sofa. I'd be like, oh, okay, better go to bed now. And eventually, yeah, two and a half minutes, an edition of The Mentalist can put me to sleep any time of day now within two and a half minutes because I know nothing exciting is going to happen. So I just, <laughs> it's just, yeah, time to sleep. It's The Mentalist. So, yeah, for me, that is the ultimate end of terrible, like, yeah, the, the imitations of things like CSI are just... Awful. What if you're listening to like a, a, a CD or a download of like 
TV soundtracks and you're driving your car and suddenly the mentalist theme tune comes on and you're fighting to stay awake whilst gripping the wheel. Yeah, thankfully the mentalist only has like a sting. So I think I'll probably be able to recover before. I think it needs to be all the things together. It needs to be the, the mentalist sting and that girl who was in the craft and Simon Baker's face. If somehow, if like... <laughs> I'm driving down the road. Simon Baker's on one billboard. Robin Tunney's on another billboard, and the sting comes on the radio. That's it. I'm causing a pile. As long as I can manage to avoid that that exact confluence of events, I'll be. Okay. You know what? I'd like to see the CSI where they unpick that how this accident was caused. <laughs> 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 so I found a full copy of the DVDs marked Insomnia Cure. Um, but anyway, yeah. So uh, yeah, that, that's the, the. But where these shows did actually have another life is when you got someone in the centre. This is the sort of the twenty-four. Twenty-four had more going for it than Kiefer Sutherland, but Kiefer Sutherland certainly didn't hurt. And in the same way, lie to me could have just been another one of these. Oh, a guy who's like a human lie detector behavioral researcher solves crimes or, you know, unpicks things. But then you get Tim Roth to do it. And Tim Roth turns in a like He knows exactly how to pitch his main character at such a level that you end up just watching Tim Roth every week. You don't really care about the rest of the show. I mean, I suppose this is what the thing with House is that, you know, uh, people were watching Hugh Laurie. I don't find Hugh Laurie that as compelling as other people do. So obviously it didn't work for me. But Lie to Me really did. Uh, did anyone else watch any of Lie to Me? I've seen a couple, but I, I, it, yeah, it didn't really grip me. But I, I've, I've only seen because you said Light to Me is really good, so I watched one episode and I was really bored by it. It's the one where he gets forced to go on holiday for the episode. Like, oh, oh you watched the worst episode yes. of Light to Me for wrote off the whole series. Yes, oh, that's intriguing. Yes, that's from the third. Is right by the beginning of the third series, they were beginning to get a bit. Oh, what can we do now? So they tried to do a few, you know, it's a bit like when in Quantum Leap they had the evil Leaper and stuff. They did a few quote-unquote wacky episodes and those didn't really work. And by the end of the series it had kind of recovered and they were all set to do season four. And then Tim Roth said, I fancy a break from this for a bit. And that break has lasted to this day. So Lie to Me was never cancelled. It just hasn't happened because it could be like, you know, Tim Roth is the equivalent to the Lie to Me production team of a father who said, I'm just going out for milk and a packet of cigarettes. And then we never saw him again. Yeah, if only they'd been able to tell if he was lying or not. The, The first season of Lie to Me, certainly, if you've not seen it, is worth watching. The second season, pretty much the same. Yeah, the dodgy episodes are all in the third, the first part of the third season. But Lie to Me can essentially be summed up, really. You could do it in a single moment, which is the moment that Tim Roth turns towards someone, squares his shoulders slightly, shuffles up to them, showing their obvious disparity in height to, to Tim Roth's disadvantage. This is a this is a, a show where he used the fact that he's quite short to his advantage. He would kind of squint at them and then put his head to one side, and that would be how he would be telling if someone was lying. And when you're an actor, you're kind of like, well, that is genius, because you do that every time. It's like someone says, uh, I loved my wife. And he just does turn, square, squint, head to one side. Did you really? Did you really love her? 
Or and it'd be like, oh, okay, great, that's dramatic gold, right? There. It's like, yeah, but you're just doing the same thing every time. How is nobody noticing that it was like his blue steel? <laughs> to me, that. So just now you're all going to run out and watch a few episodes just to see if I'm telling the truth. I think there's a drinking I game coming on for this now as well. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I mean, the other one that I want to mention sort of as in passing was Shark, in which James Woods plays a prosecutor who become, who starts working for the DA's office. So he's like a bad lawyer who becomes a good lawyer. Yeah. Which is like the show concept is like, okay, that'll pass some time with some mental cotton wool. But then it's like, and we've got James Woods. And you're like, well, that's it. We're sold. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what the show is like. You've got James Woods playing a sharkish lawyer who is now putting away the bad guys. I'm sold. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you watch the series, it is the very most inconsequential that it could be for that premise. So, yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, and then we've got the final part is um, Criminal Minds uh, on this this topic, where I watched the first five episodes. And I think it went like this. The first episode. OK, good. They're starting big with a serial killer. OK, you know, it's a crime series. Obviously, they want to make a big impression. The second one, ah, a second serial killer. OK, so that's fine. Third episode. They're not seriously not going to do Serial Killer of the Week. This show has run for God knows how long. And I'm like, I don't know. I've never been back. But how many serial killers can there possibly be? It's America. Never underestimate their ability. I mean, that was the thing about Lie to Me. At least Lie to Me, they'd set up a premise where it was like, it didn't necessarily have to be a crime that he was investigating. It was just a situation in which people which was complicated and possibly costly, in which people might resort to being untruthful and then unpicking lies. And there's also this whole thing where the writers suddenly struck on this thing. It's like, well, sometimes people don't lie because they've got... They lie because they've got something to hide, but that thing that they might want to hide may be nothing to do with the bad situation. It could be something else. So knowing whether someone's lying is actually not very helpful unless you've got a whole bunch of context to go with it. And and they kind of capitalised on that. Criminal Minds is like, no, this is a bunch of people who hunt a serial killer every week. And every week the serial killer has to have a gimmick. I would have gotten away with it, them, you pesky criminal mind investigators. Uh, and of course, just, because it's criminal minds, they also have to have some deep pathology to why they're killing people involving some you, trauma. Yes, while we're, uh, while we're on that subject though, it is better than trying to solve crimes with very boring mathematical principles. Thanks, yeah. numbers. Bye. Or indeed the mentalist. And the thing, right, this is why the mentalist put me to sleep while we're on the, while we're getting out of here. When you say, oh, it's a guy who used to be like a con artist stroke, you know, one of these people who did like uh, long con scams, seances, uh, pretended to be psychic, all of that kind of thing. And now he's a private investigator stroke security contractor. That sounds like it might work. But I watched like three, well, half of three episodes because I always fell asleep before the end. But I watched several episodes and I was like, but he's not doing anything. Like, there is no point at which he has any kind of special insight. He just looks a bit like, aha, I know what you're up to because I used to be a con man. And it's like, yeah, so what's going on? There was, oh yeah, I, I cannot. I, know, I cannot. A, a series where Dan Brown solves murders sounds quite interesting, doesn't it? 
and yet this is what we get. Towards uh, the end of the 2000s, might even tip out of our period a little bit. They started a show. In fact, it is definitely out of our period. They started a show with the guy who used to who used to be Will in Will and Grace called Perception, which was a schizophrenic detective. <laughs> Uh, where they, you know, and he would look into people who had committed crimes and whether they were really mentally unwell. That was a fascinating, is, because it still runs, is a fascinating show because they've managed to get right, they have to be very sensitive. I think there is a thing where the restriction of writers not just being able to do whatever they want, because what they said was, well, if you're going to have a schizophrenic detective, you have to be very sensitive about how you handle that. And that sensitivity really brought something into the show. So, you know, so any show could work. I think it just depends on on whether the stars line up right at the time. I mean, there's two parts to it. There's sort of the central character, the gimmick of what they're doing, and then sometimes the gimmick... I'm wondering if Dexter is in fact a spoof of these type of in a way, because it's like, yes, he's a serial killer, but he's on the side of the good guys. I've never actually watched Dexter because the mere concept of it just makes me heave a sigh. I just think I would find it incredibly irritating. Am I right about that? I've only watched Dexter to the end of the fourth series. The fans <laughs> were... the fact you said four seasons <laughs> is enough, Ian. I think you know whether a series is worth your time for that. Generally speaking, the format is there might be sort of murderers of the week from the track down, but these are always kind of the B plots he's doing in between. There'll be an overarching murderer he's trying to catch over the course of the series whilst working as a, as a, he's a crime scene specialist, isn't he? Specializing in blood spatter. For uh, is it Miami? Where is he based? I'm trying to remember now. Of course, so, yeah. yes, of course he is. Also, of course, a serial killer. His dad, his adoptive father, was a cop who saw the signs in him at an early age that he was essentially going to grow up to be a murderous nutter, and so kind of conditioned him so that his mo was he had to kill other killers and kill them in this particular way. It starts out because he is a completely not emotionless. What's the word I'm looking for? He has no empathy. And he, he sociopath. is sociopath. He's a, he's a sociopath, but he kind of goes through the motions of cultivating this life and doing what he feels is necessary to maintain this cover because he does have this other second life he's, he's more interested in where he kills people and takes samples of their blood and keeps them forever in his little display case. But over the course of the series, as he acquires like a, his, his girlfriend who was previously traumatized and so it wasn't particularly into the sex thing, which was very convenient for him, but they, they mature and then she marries him and they have a kid together and things like that. He does seem to start gaining human qualities like empathy and things like that. And I feel that kind of goes against kind of the grain of what he's about. The Worth series is worth a will because the first series is based on the first novel of Dexter. And after that, they part ways into separate universes. And I think you can very quickly tell that it's a TV show now rather than something based on a book being turned into a 13 part series. Yes, I, I've decided I did enjoy it. But after a while, you do think, God, these, these policemen he, he works with must be dumb, dumb, dumb to not realise that Dexter is a, he's not the affable guy. He just works in crime scene processing. He, he's a murderous nutter. He's always off doing things on the clock and not telling people where he is. Have I helped you at all with this? Yes, yeah, so you've helped me to say that this sounds exactly like what I thought it would be, which is, uh, intensely irritating. It would just be you going, oh, come on. A slight diversion at this stage. Oh, or at least there's a couple of diversions. One is we tried our hand at this, as in the people in the UK tried our hand at this during the 2000s with Spooks. I watched the first series of Spooks 
I thought it was okay. I don't know whether it's because I'm British or what, but for some reason, whenever British drama of this type comes out, like action drama that isn't sci-fi, I find it kind of ridiculous because I live in Britain. I'm like, yes. really? This doesn't seem... My my dad was huge into spooks, so consequently I, I watched all of spooks as well from the beginning to the bitter end. I have to say, after a while you do kind of get to love it just for being its own kind of thing. It is very strange seeing an American-style show on British television. It's also more amazing that we only apparently, in my five, apparently only has three field agents for the entirety of the UK. No, yes. that isn't surprising. Yeah, it is. Cuts. It, it does get quite ridiculous. The, the, the way they seem to pluck all these organizations. And, but it's, cause it's not just going after Islamic terrorists. They do all kinds of terrorism. Every single political persuasion has a lunatic fring somewhere who's up to something and needs to be stopped for the, this week. And it, it, it has no fears whatsoever about chewing through its main cast of characters very brutally from time to time. To the point there was only one... So the, only the boss, Colin, the guy who's in charge, is the only consistent character throughout the entire series. Everyone else, it's a kind of revolving door of who's in charge, who's the second tier, who's working tech this week. I, I have to say, I grew, I grew to seriously love it for what it was, but it is utterly ridiculous. And let us not speak of the Spook spin-off series, which, which, which was set in the future. Believe it or not, this was inspired by Torchwood, because Torchwood did quite well. So let's have a Spook spin-off for, for BBC Three as well. And so they had a spook set in the far, in the near future of 2012 after a bomb wipes out all the old cast apparently and a whole load of new kids come in to try and take over. And of course, spooks did stop in 2012. I was waiting for them to do the bomb, but they never did. I think spooks, spooks renegades, whatever it was called, kind of, yeah, no one speaks of it. Yes. <laughs> but let's talk about the things that transcend the bounds of, of television sort of formula in that uh, they kind of make their own way. Now, I'm actually thinking we've put Sopranos on the list, but I think we're probably going to bump that next next time when we talk about TV. We're going to talk about arc stroke prestige shows. And I think Sopranos being an HBO definitely does that. But The Shield was exactly the opposite of prestige television in that it was one of the launch series for, well, I think we, we call it FX and they called it, Americans called, I can't remember what they, they had a channel that was like a spin-off of, of Fox. Spike, that was it, that was supposed to be sort of male-oriented action television series for which you can read rock music, cars and women in bikinis. And then the Shield was allowed to go onto that because of the low budget constraints. It was like single camera, handheld television. And Sean Ryan and Michael Chiklis pitched a cop drama based on the Rampart incident and the network said fine and then they turned in the shield and I think there may have been a moment in which they're like this is sort of a little bit too far for what we wanted for Spike it's not fun enough but then it got huge ratings and became this monster and then then they let it go and they said no we always intended for it to be like this many people contend that the wire is the greatest cop drama ever put to the television you know greatest television show ever i would contend that the shield is in fact in the running for that and let's not even talk about hell street blues because that's back in the 70s but for the 2000s i was glued to the shield i i couldn't get enough of it and and i and ian i know that you're a big shield fan too 
I'm a big Shield fan. Well, a big help with me with this series is that I would go around to your place and I would strip watch the Shield with like one box set out, one box set in, and it's always been the format I've watched it in. And, and so that you just got a, a real intensity of viewing from it. Shield was a spectacular series. I've watched The Wire as well since. And I have to say, I do prefer The Shield over The Wire. I think The Wire's thing is it, it's, it's so, everything's so mundane and pointless. And it's such a, you know, tr- a true reflection of how just broken the system of law, justice and society is. It's just depressing to watch. Whereas The Shield, even though it's, it's about a broken system again, there's something more compelling about the characters. Like I said, a good sign of a good series is you want to be part of the characters. And in S.H.I.E.L.D. you kind of did. You kind of did want to be kind of around these bunch of nutters uh, as they went through even more uh, ridiculous shenanigans to get themselves out the last set of shenanigans they were in. And you, you, you were kind of hanging in there with Mackie. It was very interesting the way you put it to me because in, in, in the pilot, he, spoilers everyone, shoots another cop in the face to kill him because he's an undercover plot over software investigating him and so that sets you the tone about how far this guy will go and for the rest of the series there were several times where i thought he's going to kill that guy isn't he? he's going to kill him he doesn't he's actually quite reasonable from that point outwards and and, and neil was explaining to me how clever it is to set this bar there at the beginning and then it hangs over you for the rest of the series that even though you grow to like the character there's this thing right at the start that just lets you go huh I shouldn't really be liking you as much as I am and rooting for you as much as I am. You should be the guy I want to get taken down. Anyway, uh, you've got... Yes, well, it does, it does leave the viewer conflicted in that way. It's like, on the one hand, sometimes you're like, like the epi- they very cleverly, and it's not shoehorned right next to each other. One, he shoots guy in the face. And then five episodes in, three or four, five episodes in, there's an episode called Cherry Poppers about child prostitution. And the one thing that they've done very cleverly is like, this is a guy who will take a new cop and thing, but when he knows he's a rat, he'll just shoot this guy in the face. And then he's in this place, and now you see he's got a family and he's got kids and he's trying to be the best father that he can, but it's his own brutal nature that stops him fully embracing that role of family man. But and that is something for which he feels regret and then he's got this all this conflict and anger about how he can't be a decent father to his kids and one of his kids might be autistic and it's all building up. And then the police department send him to a place where grown men are like basically raping children on stage and they do this shot of his face and you're just like oh god this gonna be good <laughs> because you're like you really you know everybody wants them him to beat the crap out of these people and if there's one guy you want to send into the middle of that it's him because his entire moral framework is just like i am going to so kill all of you people <laughs> It's brilliant. It just, yeah, so it's the way that it plays with like, and then of course it's also telling you, but you can't do that. That's not how civilization works. There must be crime and punishment. And what Vic Mackey's done is he's become essentially a vigilante within the police force. So at every level, it kind of challenges you, you know, yes, you do want to, you know, beat the crap out of these people who are doing these terrible, hurtful things. But if you are, you're Vic Mackey and look what happens to him. The thing it and we, what happens to him is not what you expect. Oh, his end is gloriously ignominious. It's it's the perfect just desserts ending I've ever seen. It taught me about sort of story structure 
uh, Mackie starts the episode needing X. So he goes to somebody else to try and get X. He has to go do something else to get the thing he wanted. And then that doesn't work. So he has to go do something else to get it. And then he gets the thing he needs and goes to the first guy again. But the first guy is reneged on the first deal. So now he has to try something even more outrageous. And he has all these people angry at him whilst he's doing it. And there's just this sense of digging yourself in deeper and deeper and deeper as the episode goes on. Not the series. Just that episode that I found really compelling about how just how, just how much shit can he get himself into this week? Like walking into like, a, you know, an entire district that's just gang run, seizing the boss at gunpoint and getting his way out of there with him. It, it's just like, my goodness, this is ridiculous. Well, I mean, the shield is the very essence of modern hard boiled and the hard boiled exists on this idea that your anti-hero should continually be shoveling crap on top of himself. Because and should get further and further into this trouble, you know, the menace should gather. Um, and so, yeah, it does. I mean, that's the thing. It kind of exists in a sort of gritty realism that is made out of complete fantasy. Justin, did you did you actually watch The Shield at all? No, I don't. No, I haven't. I haven't seen. I think I don't think I've seen it in a single episode. And um, I don't know. It's not. I kind of not. I'm not really into. You probably might have gathered from earlier. I'm not really into pre- police procedural stuff. Really, as TV. But you so, love pulp and noir. Yes, that is something that I wasn't really aware of with the shield. Yeah, the shield is the shield is now that I come to think about it, the very essence of modern because the way they film it like it's sort of with single cameras as if it's somewhere in between found footage and it's not found footage, but it's like that kind of newsy kind of feel. And but they're doing it, you know, drama style. I mean it's very much something that uh all of those space series is like Firefly and, and Battlestar Galactica did as well, using a kind of news footage kind of style in order to promote a sort of verisimilitude but that whole thing it is a it's a pulp story basically it's a the cop gone bad pulp story uh, t- told in in seven acts and it is yes it goes places you wouldn't expect it to go and does this uh, you know i have to be honest seasons three and four get very baggy because the the network are like, wow, this is one of our biggest shows. Let's stuff it full. And they're like 18 episode seasons. And then in season five, suddenly, boom, 10 episodes. And they just do 10 episodes to the end then. And so there is a bit in the middle where there's some bits which are a bit like, this is too much. But overall, best television series ever. I know you've talked about this a lot. I mean, in terms of its praise, you've you've praised it a lot uh, in the past. But I mean, I think now that I kind of I'm, I'm understand it more now, and I think I will definitely uh, look into it. Well, it's, it's on Netflix, so it, is, uh, it has so never been a better time. Going to keep me busy for a while, I think. Well, I think the hallmark here is that I started watching this show and I loved it, and then uh, this was before uh, I met Sue, in fact, and then I met Sue, and I said, right, we're, we'll go and sit down. We're going to try the Shield. I wasn't sure it was something she'd like, and at first she was like, oh, this just seems rubbish. I don't like this. And then by the end, we were both like on the edge of our seats, and and then it didn't, and it paid off. I mean, we we. She, it's not really her type of show either and yet by the end we were both like what's gonna happen how is it gonna come out and that you know that just proved you know if it's not it's so not sue's type of thing and yet by the end she was totally into it as well so yeah. that that's where it, it was unfortunate i we should we have put a note here to mention sons of anarchy yes uh, which is sean ryan and kurt sutter's kind of next project which is huge as well 
couldn't get into that at all. It was console yourself, Shield fans. We're now going to be doing a series about a biker gang, and we're going to have Ron Perlman in it. You're going to love it. And as it is, I, I tried to watch it. I tried to get into it. It just did not grab me the same way the Shield did. Although, um, oh, Mike Chiklis does have a cameo in the final episode that is utterly hilarious. He's like the last character you see in the series. <laughs> I won't spoil it. Oh, right. Okay. Well, I might, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's that much that I really want to root for the show. Cause, you know, Ron Perlman, Sean Ryan, show about bikers. But I just, I watched like four or five episodes. And I was like, I can't do this. It's not, you know, and then people are saying it's brilliant, but I just, I just couldn't, I was yeah. not being gripped. But then it went on for ages. So maybe it, it gets better. What, I don't what know. What was it about it that you felt was repelling you exactly? It was kind of slow. Yes. Which, you know, The Shield, things like CSI. CSI has an A line and a B line. That is, you have two detectives who are doing the number one crime of the show. And in 42 minutes, the other pair of cops do. So they've got essentially like one like 25 minute, one 18 minute show mushed together and interpolated in such a way that the two plot lines gather each other. The Shield has an A line, a B line, and a C line. Like it had in this, in 50 minutes, they had three major storylines going on all at once. And it was frenetic. Like you can't be bored in an episode of The Shield. In fact, it's kind of hard to follow what's going on unless you're paying very close attention. Sons of Anarchy, at least at the start, has a much more lazy and i didn't like anyone not i mean i didn't Mm. really like anyone in the shield i think you come to love dutch in the shield but at first you don't like him and similarly acevedo at the beginning you kind of like him he's a bit sleazy and by the end you really hate him and so on so forth the shield there are very few characters that are actually likable and at the beginning it doesn't try and make anyone seem that likable and yet it's still compelling sons of anarchy i didn't like anyone i just didn't like anyone and i couldn't get behind it because i just mm, there was nothing to hold on to no compelling reason to keep watching as far as i could think i wanted to but i just couldn't anyway so that's that's kind of de- done with our, our drama maybe we could uh, uh, expand now i mean this is the thing so we, we started with Angel and we're sort of going to come around back to that. Angel kind of set this note, Angel and 24 together of the, the man in the center of a sort of a maelstrom of a strange world. And we've gone through all of these things, but now we're getting into the other part of Angel, which is of course that Angel was a vampire. And, uh, the 2000s have been a big time for, uh, supernatural things. Of course, this is the era of the show, Supernatural, but we've also had uh, little things that, uh, True Blood, The Vampire Diaries. Um, now I'm going to start just there as a note. I have never watched an episode of The Vampire Diaries or its spin-off, The Originals. For me, it seems to be like, let me put it this way, Twilight, the television series. Does anyone have anything different to tell me, or have we all surmised the same thing here? Okay. I, ha- I, have, I have watched neither True Blood or Vampire Diaries or the originals, but I have a sister-in-law who loves the heck out of her vampires and has books and watches the series and so forth and so forth, and she was deadly into them. And I imagine, I think she was deadly into uh, Twilight as well. So saying this is a series that's just like Twilight would probably be like saying this is just like crack to a crack addict, I think, so... I can see why, because they've obviously made loads of all of it. Well, Justin, I understand you watched a bit of True Blood at one point. I liked True Blood. Did you Um, watch all of True Blood? Uh, No. 
I think oh. I've, I've not seen the first couple of seasons, I think. And then some, you know, various reasons, I think other things took over and I just, for some reason I didn't take, oh, it wasn't because I chose not to, it just, just happened. And I haven't gone back, I haven't thought about going back. Does it well, pay off? I, mean, I, I watched like the first episode and I really, I found it quite tedious, annoyingly tedious, so I didn't watch any further, but, um, then, and then I started to hear things about fairies and stuff, and I oh, was like, right. okay, I... It's fantasy then. Yeah, it did, it did go into oh, a weird yeah. place, apparently, but oh, I, yeah. it's the idea of getting to that weird place. That's what dissuades me. Don't really have much to say about, I mean, it's possible we should go away and watch these things. I mean, Supernatural, on the other hand, the only thing I haven't seen is the, the recent series, because of the recent shenanigans between the US and the UK with terms of the who was showing what. And I don't mean the recent series as in nine. I've seen nine, but I haven't seen ten. Everybody is surprised that Supernatural is on season ten, not least its creator who wanted it only to run for five seasons. And it's just this monster. But it has that thing that we've talked about with Stargate SG-1 and whatnot. Happy fans make least noise, and Supernatural fans generally seem to be quite happy with Supernatural, so you don't really perceive it. But, you know, Supernatural is now the longest-running Supernatural sort of American-style television series. It was Stargate SG-1. Now it is Supernatural because they've gone past the SG-1 point at which the, 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 you know, the number of episodes stacked up. Uh, it, I think it took them a little bit longer to get there because of the writer's strike that hit in season three of Supernatural. But, yeah, it's, um, it's massive, Supernatural, but on a very quiet way. You don't often meet people, or I don't encounter people, who rave on and on about Supernatural. In fact, most people just tend to say, I'm a fan. Now I'm going to watch more Supernatural or watch Supernatural again. And I believe that neither of you guys are really big into it. Uh, no. uh, I've enjoyed it, but no. Uh, yeah, yes, I am into it. I've just f- fallen out the habit. I have a stack of them to watch and I just haven't watched them for months. I, Where are I, you up to at the moment? I, I binge watched and I'm now in like the last third of the fourth series. And I just pause there and I haven't been back for months and months and months. Oh dear. I can see yes, where it's got... all going with the, f- um, this is it. I think when it first started, it was very definitely just going to be a monster of the week series, but then it's, it started to develop its arc and it was very good. I like the arc. Arc is glorious, but this is the problem with arcs because I'm very conflicted on the subject of arcs. I am so impatient to get on with the arc story which I've invested in, and I'm beginning to resent, and this week we'll just have another Monster of the Week story, or we'll just have an offbeat story where we're all set in a film universe, or something like that. I I just want them to get on with the story. And so with Series 4, I can see where they're going with this, and I just want them to get on with it. So I'm getting... I I stopped because I got into the habit of starting to skip through the episodes, a bit like to speed through them just to get to the end. It's like, no, I'm not really watching this now. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just devouring. I might as well go well, read the wiki. This is how I want to engage with the series. So I, I took a bit of a break and I haven't got back into the habit of watching it again. But on the general principles of it, I'm really into it because it's got the freaking arc that I like. Damn you. I hate this arc. Yes, it, the five season arc was really good and it does much of the right job but then some of the more interesting stuff actually comes out after that arc is over unfortunately it then becomes a bit conflicted because 
particularly, you know, the beginning of season six is like, oh, we're, it's a bit like someone's like, I've fallen out of a plane. Like, oh, I'm still alive. Uh, what, what am I doing? I thought I'd be dead now. Uh, and so yeah, it has a few episodes of bumbling around trying to work out what it's doing, but then it settles on a storyline, which is incredibly strong, in my opinion, at the beginning of season six. There's a really good, once it gets into its groove, it, it really goes well. Season seven, not so much. Season eight, uh, if I'm getting the seasons right, I know actually I've got it. Have I got it wrong? Let's see. Season seven, then season. No, season seven is actually very strong. Sorry, season seven is one of my favourite seasons because, uh, and in fact, it's the latter half of season six. The first half of season six has a very strong storyline that they kind of bring to an end. And then the latter half has a different, slightly subtler storyline, which I didn't find incredibly satisfying. Then season seven has a brilliant arc just of its own. Season seven of Supernatural is amazing. Yeah, season eight and nine have a real difficulty recovering from the epicness of season seven. I mean, season eight to a little degree and season nine, a little bit disappointing. And also the fact that they have a backdoor pilot for a show that was basically they went, yeah, you know, all the people who love Supernatural and don't watch the Vampire Diaries. Let's turn Supernatural into the Vampire Diaries and then try and sell people a spin-off that's like the Vampire Diaries. Mm. That didn't work. Especially bearing in mind the fact they introduce a concept in this later part of um, a thing called the Men of Letters. It's like a cross between detective fiction and uh, and sort of magicians. Yeah, the Men of Letters are like alchemists in the 1940s, and everybody's so into the Men of Letters. They love it. You know, it's like uh, Marvel have got here with Agent Carter now, but everybody loves the idea of a man. But obviously, making a period piece 1940s television series about a bunch of alchemists who fight demons is a quite an expensive proposition so the way that the supernatural people were trying to do a spin-off was like yeah let's make it as cheap as possible and it just showed all over the place and yet there's so many other i mean it's not just the men of letters there are many possible spin-offs of supernatural as a television series and yet they went for one that was possibly the most dunderheaded that they possibly could have but yeah supernatural itself I, the only thing you can say is just go and watch it and, and take it in and, 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 and just, you know, it's, it's a show that wears its accidental lucking into show elements on its sleeve. Uh, the character of the angel Castiel was only supposed to be in like four or five episodes and then has become a con, you know, a show regular because of fan reaction. And, and that's the thing, you know, Supernatural has that relationship. I think a healthy relationship with its fans. It pokes fun at its fans. It keeps its fans at arm's length. But when the fans are really committed to something, they tend to go with it. But it, I mean, we've made it sound like this is the only thing that happened on that level in, in science fiction television at this time. We've talked about space in a previous show and now we've done Supernatural and then there's a bunch of vampires. But was there anything else going on? Well, sci-fi had an intriguing time during the 2000s with three shows, one of which is a little bit late for us. But they, the reason I have to mention all three together is because they share a universe. And what do we love more than a shared universe? Those three shows were Eureka or in the UK, a town called Eureka, because 
I think we had a television series called Eureka in the, I, it's one of those things anyway, but I'm going to call it Eureka because I think that's a good name for a show. Warehouse 13 and Alphas, all of which take place in the same universe apparently. And what a confusing universe that must be. Um, my favourite of these would have to be Eureka. I've never really been able to get into Warehouse 13. And Alphas I loved, but then it was got cut off in its prime. Gentlemen, did show, these shows appeal to you at all? Where, Warehouse 13 I really like. Alphas I've just started watching, and it's okay. And Eureka, I love it. Oh, good. So you're a big f- fan of these these things, Justin. You've not You've not <laughs> I, seen any of them, Ian? Not a single YouTube clip. Right, okay, so let's try and break these down for you. Eureka takes the premise that a cop goes and does police work in a town that was set up uh, by Albert Einstein uh, to bring the brightest scientific minds together in one place. Eureka did have an initial stumbling block, which they didn't foresee coming, which was that in the first series there's a character called Nathan Stark, who is basically Tony Stark, but sort of on television and without Iron Man armor. He's like a brilliant millionaire scientist industrialist who is one of the main characters in the first series of Eureka. And it kind of conflicted with uh, Marvel then doing Iron Man. Now, obviously, they couldn't moan about that because Iron Man is a very old character. But there was the fact they called him Nathan Stark and then made him a dashing philanthropist millionaire kind of with a moustache and all of this. He was so close that they kind of dealt with him in a way in the second series in such a way that he was like yeah he's not going to be appearing anymore um because yeah i think that tony stark obviously iron man film came out tony stark blew up everybody knew who iron man was and sci-fi went we can't have this character anymore but apart from you know there were little things like that but yes eureka is a great show has that spirit of science adventure that is so often missing I think in many shows, it's very close to something like Star Trek or indeed Doctor Who in that the the antagonistic element is not always a person. It is sometimes an effect and, it, it you know, it does sort of science fantasy in that way and it sort of cruises the line between action and comedy. And Warehouse 13 tried to do a similar thing. I couldn't grip onto it. Justin, you like Warehouse 13. Yeah, You're a big, really what, what is it about it that pulls you in there? <laughs> um, I just love the concept. I love the fact of these. In fact, it reminded me very much as a kind of a, a much lighter version of the Lost Room in that it's all about these objects and these objects have kind of uh, metaphysical, metaphorical powers based on who own them. And so sometimes they could be, um, you know, they might be linked to a particularly creative individual like Edgar Allan Poe. And so they, you know, these things start becoming infested with the stories of Edgar Allan Poe. Interesting, the kind of big story was the fact that this is where it's called Warehouse 13 because there have been 12 others. And some of the episodes you get in the Victorian, the, the Warehouse 12, which is kind of Victorian. And you get little kind of stuff characters with that. And I don't know, I just really like the concept I like the idea of this strange place. They did, you know, really play with it, like, from season to season. Like, one, spoilers, uh, you know, one of them, like, you blow up the warehouse. And now they have to deal with the aftermath of that. Yeah, I do understand that it probably went places, but I'm fi- I I haven't actually got to the end of season one. And I've watched, like, seven or eight episodes in season one, and it's it's just not pushing it forward fast enough for me. And I just can't settle into it. I should probably go back to it. 
the way that the, the link happens for those that are interested is that in Eureka, one episode or two episodes of Eureka, characters from Warehouse 13 drop in to Eureka. They, they arrive at Eureka to do a, a crossover episode that is explicit. And they even talk about the fact that, oh, it's the person from Warehouse 13. I really admire their work and stuff. And then one of the characters from Warehouse 13 appears in a couple of episodes of Alphas, thus meaning that they all take place in the same universe. That, that's about all. I don't think Eureka and Alphas ever actually explicitly crossed over. It was Warehouse 13 that was the link between the two series. And I, I kind of hoped that Alphas sort of would go further than it did because... We obviously had a lot of superhero type shows. So we're going to talk about heroes in the next television show, but that's the obvious one. Oh, and the 4400, which we should probably talk about, uh, sort of about now-ish, because that would be when it came up. So we had a couple of these like superhero shows, although the 4400 had quite a strong arc, so probably best to bump it forward. But essentially, with these superhero shows, they hadn't quite got it bob on it kind of, they tended to meander off into these places and alphas was zach penn who had done i think it was the 4400 might be wrong about that but he'd also done some scripting with uh with, with people for films uh like the watchmen and he'd kind of cracked the nut he'd gone oh yeah this is how you do superheroes on television and alphas was this thing like this is how you do superheroes on television and it was really like the first series was exceptionally strong the second one not quite so much but it was getting there it was definitely really and then people just weren't watching it so they cancelled it and i was like oh they even did a made joke about it on the big bang theory where uh Sheldon's really upset that they've cancelled it. And then he rings up the show creators and goes, I can't believe you've done it, but thank you for sending me the notes. Uh, I'll read them. And then he reads them and goes, oh, no, it's a good job it was cancelled. These ideas suck. (laughs) (laughs) That's why it was cancelled, which is not actually true. It's just whether people watch it or not. I think that Alphas could have been great, but it never quite got to that level. But for me, it is the one that cracked superheroes on television the best. Yeah, it's the potential of it is looking more interesting than and more interesting than what heroes ended up being. Uh, but yes, without seeing it fully. What about misfits? Oh, what about misfits? Good, good call, yep. Ian. Yes, uh, that this was our UK interpretation of uh, heroes on a budget, um, and it's very pretty. I think <laughs> I love about it. <laughs> I think that misfits suffered from the fact that after two seasons the creator was kind of done but the the audience said more please and three is pretty good actually i like season three of misfits i think that that uh sort of ties things up nicely more or less but then of course they continue on and towards the end it's just like we're doing the thing we're doing the job but we're here for the paycheck and we're here because you told us to be here not because we have any particular love and it just got really like in the first one there's a joke about what a rubbish superpower well by the end they barely have superpowers at all because it's just weird stuff happening but yeah the beginning of misfits is is great stuff definitely yeah, absolutely. absolutely i think once the once the original cast kind of start going and stuff it begins to lose the magic but i i didn't like rudy at first but in fact some of the stuff that rudy does 
as it goes on is is pretty decent and pulls it all together but then right at the end it when they start like the guy who sells who could take people's powers and sell them to other people and all that that starts to get to the point where it's like oh no please it it kind of tailed off rather than even though it was trying so hard to finish strong it tailed right. off and of course, all of this talk of superpowers leads us to one of the biggest things that we're now going to talk about in about three seconds, because I doubt anyone has even watched it. Smallville was a big thing in I, the 2000s. It, it and was. We all missed it. I watched, I watched it. I watched the you first watched series. It. Justin watched it. Sorry, I take that back. Justin watched it. What was good about Smallville, Justin? Um, I think actually what it became was better because when it started, it was very much Buffy with superpowers. It was like everyone's in high school. And the, you know, the monster of the week was the who got affected by the kryptonite shower this week. And that actually got pretty, you know, that, that got pretty tired format. And I think the writers knew this. And what eventually happened was it, it kind of became like the DC cinematic universe for TV. Because by the end of it, even though the character, the, the actor playing Superman was like, I will not wear the cape. That is the point where I don't want to be in this. It's not going to become Lois and Clark Superman adventures. But what was weird was, like, everyone else was there. So it was like the Green Arrow. There was like, just, you know, they had effectively the, um, the Justice League by the end. But he was like the shadow or the smudge or whatever they called him because he was always of uh, the blur because he never brought a costume and he was just like a figure that came in and out as, as Superman. So that was a bit bizarre. And then eventually, obviously, I think it finished with him. And then that, that's where it, that, that's where it ended with him obviously getting the suit. I guess I didn't see the last ones. Um, so it became very very comic booky because you had all the kind of things coming into it. And if you like those things, I think that that then became much more than its parts. It actually is a completely different animal from the beginning. Well, obviously they have to leave high school. They're all actors in their twenties, early you know late twenties anyway. So the chance of them keeping going on is ridiculous. So they had to do something else. And I, I, I enjoyed what it became later on. But I think I would got, I got bored early on. I mean, and then I came back to it when it looked like it was doing something interesting. It, it definitely has put a, a basis in place because now we have Arrow, The Flash and Constantine yeah. and DC properties are growing on television. Yeah. Uh, that DC at the moment seem to be holding their own in the television battle because Marvel's side is Agent Carter, which is good, but set in the past, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is fairly tedious uh, by all accounts. Uh, so until Daredevil and that burst onto the screens of Netflix, DC are holding court as far as television superheroes go. They've always had a strong, Warner Brothers has always had a strong TV on, on DC properties, so they're kind of the complete reverse of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in that DC has been there before and it's laid the groundwork. I know they're not related, but certainly he's had experience of doing it and that's what they does well, but obviously not so much in the cinematic sense. But I'm sure, yes, once Daredevil kicks off, once the, the other things they've got in the pipeline, I think, yeah, we're, we're interesting times, I think, coming. Um, and of course, we can't leave a discussion of uh, these these kind of shows in the 2000s without saying that, of course, very importantly, we now have uh, New Who and Torchwood, both of which, I mean, New Who is New Who, but Torchwood is kind of a spin-off of Doctor Who, probably inspired by all of these types of shows yes. uh, elsewhere. Buffy so, in particular. Uh, Ian, obviously. Yes, this is your, I'll talk about Doctor Who. I have a few notes. Where should we start? Oh, <laughs> bow ties and fezzes. No, um, 
Yeah, we, we talked about Doctor Who quite thoroughly in the Doctor episode, at least why you knew who is being so successful. But uh, Torchwood, it's obviously Torchwood hasn't made as big a splash as Doctor Who is. There's far less of it as well. Speaking as as a fan of it, I think I enjoyed the first two series. I enjoyed the second series far more. I thought the first series, the characters were irritating. It was almost like which one of you is going to go rogue this week and screw it up. I actually sat down at the end of the first series and worked out a body count of mistakes Torchwood made and related directly to deaths that happened. I was like, if Torchwood hadn't existed, less people would have died. By the second series, they, they seem to have settled down the relationships in the format a bit, and they're just kind of churning it out a bit more. Uh, and then it kind of ends the second series on a very brutal note. And then you get Children of Earth. I think for Torchwood fans, Children of Earth is where it's at, where you have five episodes each which was shown on British television, one episode a night. It was on one week. And each each one was about that particular events of that particular day as well. And it's one big Uber story of uh, an alien incursion to Earth. And the aliens have a single and terrible uh, demand. And it was very good the way each episode, it was like, it wasn't going to drag it out. Each episode would give you something new. Like the first episode, the aliens are contacting us. Second episode, the aliens are here. Third episode, the aliens are making their demand. You know, and, and there's other things going on that are raising the stakes constantly as well and to the point the civilization is on the brink of collapse by the end of the fifth and fifth episode and your hopes have been crushed quite convincingly at the end of the fourth and it ends on a very brutal you know the, the solution to, to the issue is not kind shall we say it's a very gray very kind of well we won the day i suppose but i feel really dirty now as a result kind of resolution and and in fact it was so desolating torchwood essentially is disbanded and so uh, it gets picked up again by Stars, American co-production channel. And so off we go to America and we, and we throw in the new characters, which I think consists of angry black man and blonde woman person. And they're thrown into the remaining Torchwood cast. And they drag this. And it's the same sort of format. It's a big story that's over 10 episodes as opposed to five. And it really drags and it's really aimless. And it's not so much peeling away layers of the onion. That's faffing around until we can get to our faffing around ending where we can end on a cliffhanger that sets things up for the future, but doesn't because Torchwood Miracle Day of the fourth series was pretty dire. The American fans, they didn't like the American series particularly. They preferred the old series because they thought it was quite charming the way they would have this American format, Invasion of the Week uh, sci-fi cop drama thing, but it was happening in Cardiff. And so I think they quite liked the juxtaposition of American format in Cardiff. I think, actually, the other Doctor Who spin-off of Sarah Jane Adventures is actually a far better series. It is for kids, but I think that was a far more, a far of, of much better consistent quality than Torchwood ever was. But certainly Children of Earth is definite highlight. It has to be said that, uh, Doctor Who, if you, if you go back to the beginning of the show and we talk about Angel and 24 and, you know, Lie to Me and all these things where it's like there's a central guy and swaggy stuff happens around him. It, it almost to a certain extent seems inevitable that Doctor Who would make a return at this because surely this is the ultimate and there's a guy who's in the center of it all and everything around it is wacky. And of course Angel has his sidekicks in the same way that Doctor Who has his companions. So, you know, the, this is a sort of a television thing and, and Doctor Who has the most 
liberty you know it's like i was talking about things being hamstrung like criminal minds by their own format well doctor who is the ultimate reversal of that you know it could literally anything could literally happen as long as it fits within the budget um <laughs> and and yeah that that's that's very it's, liberating it's the only series television. i know of where everyone is disposable the writers the producers the main lead star actor the supporting cast Utterly disposable. As long as you have Time Lord and TARDIS and somewhere in the distance Daleks can turn up at some point, go ahead, do whatever you like. You know, someone else have a play with us now. I pass the baton yes, on with, with, with excitement about what you'll do with it. Here we are at the end. So, uh, what have we learned from our grand journey? Well, I think that what we've learned is that, uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, there's this kind of thing where you have star plus sidekicks in a sort of thing is is a thing that they do we've learned that uh, vampires are not as well are compelling to some people on television but apparently not to us uh we've learned that uh superhero television series is a tricky which is a, a shame because they're a big thing at the moment and we've learned that we haven't talked about all the big arc shows prestige television shows or indeed the works of jj abrams and the reason we haven't talked about that is because that's for our last tv show which will be coming up in the future but yes uh, we have talked briefly about arcs but i think that we're going to go we have uh, in the past in fact we did a general show about story arcs way back about two years ago didn't we Ian? yes but uh, next time is where we're going to really crack the nut on that and talk about uh, several shows My which were very dependent on being serials, mm. um, which is something. I mean, because this is. I mean, I suppose the next show should really be head, head, you know the the centre of this golden age of television that we're we're living in now. Whereas we've seen right round the edge. I think that the crime shows particularly are like the bread and butter of the golden age of television. When they work, they really work, and 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 for some reason. Numbers has an audience or had an audience. Maybe it still does. I don't know, but I don't know why that would be. Uh, Justin, well, what have you? What are you taking away from today's episode? Well, I, I well, what I'm I'm very fortunate that these things happen because I mean, remember the nineties when there was precious little in the way of sci-fi and anything kind of imaginative on that level on TV, and you know suddenly you had a burst of kind of Buffy and well, obviously X Files before that. That laid the groundwork for some genuinely interesting, dramatic stuff. And, you know, there is not enough time to watch box sets of all these wonderful incarnations, whether you want fantasy, whether you want supernatural, whether you want sci-fi. We are being catered for. And, of course, we are still being catered for. That is still a thing, and stuff is still happening. Um, and that's great. You know, it's it's brilliant. Uh, for some for people who, who love their sci-fi that only have had to put up with, you know, little bits here and there there is more than enough and also we're living in an age where like you say you are having dramatic roles played by screen actors bringing their presence and their weight to it so tv is now much more credible and in some ways it's doing stuff that film isn't doing you know you can really explore stories with that format yeah this is one of the things i went back when we were back in the 90s and i rewatched uh, the rainmaker and I said, it's kind of a precious thing to watch a, an adaptation of, of one of these novels because it's a kind of film that, you know, you've got Matt Damon and Danny DeVito and, and, and you've got Francis Ford Coppola directing. It's a kind of show, it's a kind of t- uh, thing that they would never make for a cinema audience anymore because cinema audiences would not rock up to see it. They would just put it on television instead, you know, things like Boardwalk Empire and things like that. And, and that is definitely, you know, television used to be, you know, like, 
like the poor man's cinema and now it is a compliment to cinema it is like something else that that exists we do this on television and we do this in the cinema and that's how it works and that means that television has the potential to be so much so much more and indeed is is growing into that thing you know we yeah we're talking you know the same thing as the film release schedule you know as our years have grown so the television and like you say justin you cut you can't watch it all i mean you you can but you, you wouldn't have much time to do anything else so um if we've missed some kind of show which we inevitably have or if somebody really wants to tell us why we should go and watch the vampire diaries and the originals with much haste because we have missed out on a televisual gem ian where might they go to direct us thus well, one place they could go to uh, tell us all about that would be our Facebook page, which you can find on Facebook forward slash Revenge of the 80s Kids. And that's 80s as in numbers, so 80s. Uh, please go there and like our page. It's our community hub. We put up links to our podcast there, as well as links we find interesting. Uh, but podcasts are what it's all about. And for those who want to point your browser towards 80s Kids, and that's 80s as in letters, so E-I-G-H-T-I-E-S kids dot podomatter.com, uh, please go there and subscribe to our podcast using the podcast aggregator of your choice. Or download to your PC for dark reasons of your own. Uh, but this is anywhere our most recent podcasts can be found. For the legacy of our podcasts, you must go to... At LeoStableford.com, where you can find all sorts of uh, things, uh, such as videos, uh, video archives of our recent webcast, for example, uh, and entries about various aspects of media, and then there's links to all sorts of stuff. But you can, of course, find a full archive of our shows in that location as well so that is a good thing um but if if indeed uh sounds uh things moving uh, in a phot- photographic sense and and uh words about popular culture are all making your head hurt a bit and you just wish you could look at a nice picture justin where might they go to find a nice picture to contemplate Yes, you can find examples of my work anyway, at the very least, on my Demon Art page under my name, uh, Justin Wyatt at DeviantArt.com, uh, where there's plenty of examples of stuff that I'm working on, professional work, all that kind of stuff. So there we go. That is where the 80s kids may be found when they are not being 80s kids. Yeah. Uh, but now we are all going off probably. I, I well, I was, was going to say, I, I'm none the wiser about how to get rid of all these monsters and demons we have on this spaceship. Personally, I think we should just go for a classic 80s solution. So you guys go dig out the proton packs and the storage cupboard. I'll go find some loose change to put in the meter on, on the containment no, no, chamber. No, 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 Ian, you haven't been paying attention to the episode. What we need to do is, first of all, come up with a theory about how to deal with these things. And that theory will turn out to be completely inaccurate and uh, lead to a hilarious moment where we realise we have been barking up the wrong tree. So then we come up with a second theory and what I like to call Act 2, which also turns out to be wrong. But then the hero of the show, who I'm going to be nominating as Justin, will say, no, no, you've both been doing it wrong for the entire show show this is how we do it then it'll turn out to be right and we'll be finished up in about 44 minutes with time for commercials that's how we deal with it so i propose that that's the action course of action we should take or maybe we could just cut out a lot of faffing about by going straight to whatever justin thinks we should do no matter how strange or bizarre it seems Out, out, 
I am grooming you all out the airlock. Go, hurry. This spacesuit is very hot, and I have 16 more decks to do, all on my own. Yes, because Leo and Justin are off having their holodeck torture leisure time again, whilst I do all the work. Brilliant plan there, Mr. Wyatt. sweeping you extra hard if you're going to start foreshadowing end-of-series finale events at me. I'm just not the mood for story arc crap right now. Out! Ugh. I think I feel like torturing someone right now.